0: Talkables. It's Ohio State Notre Dame from 1995 and the reason this is good is because Ohio State's not playing this weekend and neither is Notre Dame. So maybe we we have fans of both teams who are ravenous for college football and we're going to have to look backwards because there's nothing on the plate this saturday this is the friday retalkable dougley maurice nathan baird stephen means from cleveland.com if you've listened to the buckeye retalkables before we have our crazy categories that we go through a game but we have a special guest and we really need to set the scene for this it's eric hansen born in cleveland but more importantly He covers Notre Dame for the South Bend Tribune. And back in 1995, when this game took place, he covered this game back then as the Big Ten beat writer for the South Bend Tribune. So Eric, thanks so much for taking time to join us on Buckeye Retalkables.
1: Well, thanks for making me jog my memory on this game. It really was a very cool experience for me.
0: So the deal with this is it was a big deal, right? I mean, like, that's the thing that, I th- you know, looking backwards 25 years, we can have a little bit of a sense of this, but it was fun to watch Keith Jackson and Bob Greasy do the call. For our listeners, if you want to find this, this is on YouTube in about a two-hour cut, but there's a chunk of like the second quarter or first quarter that's missing. There's also like a 35-minute cut that's only quick plays, so you have to watch – you can watch the full game. Then when it misses, like, eight minutes of action, you've got to go watch the quick cut-ups. At least that's what I did. Nathan, did you find a better answer than that?
2: No, no? Okay. I didn't. I, I actually only had time to watch the quick cut-ups, too. So I didn't okay. get the full
3: Keith Jackson experience, unfortunately. Did you,
0: did you find anything better, Stephen, in trying to watch this thing?
3: No, that was it. I just went to the quick cut for the second quarter.
0: Yeah, and so – but you can get a good full two hours of, of Keith Jackson, whoa, Nelly, that kind of thing. But But – In that broadcast, they really leaned on the fact that Notre Dame and Ohio State had not played since 1936. They interviewed a guy in the stands who had been to the game in 1936. They interviewed an Ohio State guy on the sideline who had played in the game in 1936. Notre Dame and Ohio State had played a home-and-home in 1935 and 1936. Then they scheduled this home-and-home series for 95 and 96, So that's like 59 years, man. That is a long time in between. So Eric, these two traditional Midwestern schools who hadn't played in six decades, how big of a deal was the the buildup to this game?
1: Well, the buildup for me really started when I was in high school in the late 70s because that's when this game, this series was scheduled. Uh, And I, I was, journalism was nowhere on my radar. And I said, Well, I'll tell you, wherever I am in life, I want to make sure that I'm in the stadium for that game in 1995. And when I did my research on the scheduling of the series, they had to do it behind Woody Hayes' back. He was still the coach at Ohio State when they scheduled this, and he had no knowledge. He was definitely dead set against ever playing Notre Dame. Fast forward to 1995 – you know, Notre Dame tripped up in their opener against Northwestern and lost, and it dropped them in the rankings a little bit. So they were, I think, 15 coming into the game in Ohio State 7. But it was still an incredible buildup. And, and when I got into town for the game, you know, we got in town on Friday, I, I still have not experienced anything like that in terms of pregame atmosphere. And Notre Dame's played in a lot of big games. But, I mean, there was just such a electricity on campus and people milling around everywhere. And I, I remember, um, you know, parking my car and a guy had these souvenir T-shirts and he goes, you got to buy one of these. And, it, you know, it mentioned that it had the two two games from the 1930s and it had the date of this game. And then if you turn it around, on the back was in big scarlet letters, Rudy sucks. Um, <laughs> and And the whole... The whole weekend was like that. I I can remember coming out of the stadium after the game. And and again, I'm an Ohio State alum. And I was going to meet some of my friends at the varsity club once I got done writing. And I can't remember my feet touching pavement and not touching beer cans until I was almost to the varsity club. I mean, it was just absolutely nuts. There was nothing like it. And for about three quarters of the game, the game really kind of lived up to it. And then, you know, Notre Dame got the turnover bug and uh, and Ohio State just, you know, put them away in the fourth quarter. The other thing that was kind of interesting was the whole Lou Holtz angle. You know, that was his first game back at Ohio Stadium since he was an assistant on a 1968 national championship team. And he's so, in a neck
0: brace, and, and he he's was in, in, a, neck in brace. a neck
1: brace. Spinal surgery 18 days earlier. So you talk about a game that not only lived up to the hype but exceeded the hype. Certainly, from a atmosphere standpoint, it did. So I want I, it's. We're trying to
0: frame this perspective, and that's why we wanted to have Eric on here as a guy who was born in Cleveland, who grew up then in Columbus, who went to Ohio State, who has covered Notre Dame so long. I, I, I would. I would doubt there's anybody who has a better understanding of Ohio State and Notre Dame simultaneously, perhaps, in the country than Eric Hansen. So the buildup for this, I just want to mention very quickly now, the series with Ohio State and Notre Dame, they played in 35 and 36. Notre Dame won both. They play these two games in 95 and 96. Ohio State wins both. They play in the 2005 Fiesta Bowl. Such a big deal. Great matchup. Ohio State wins it. And then they play in 2016 – is that right? No. What in was January that? of
1: 2016.
0: They play after the two thousand fifteen season. Ohio State. They should have been a national championship repeat. They lose to Michigan State. They beat Michigan. They're angry for a month, and they go beat Notre Dame in the in a bowl game to finish that season. And now we have this coming back around again. It's another reason why we wanted to do this game. Ohio State and Notre Dame are back on the schedule in 2022 and 2023. So they have played six times. The last two were in bowls. This is only going to be the third mini series they're going to play against each other. So all the stuff we're talking about now, what it's like to have these two traditional powers play each other, that's coming in two years. So get ready. We can restart the buildup for that. Nathan, as you watch this, and I know you said you just watched the cutups, and we what, we are going to get it into all our categories—the best players, the best plays of the game—that's a, a fundamental part of the retalkables. But even in the cutups, did you get a little bit of a sense of like, man, Ohio State and Notre Dame are playing each other—that's kind of a big deal. Yeah, you could still get that vibe.
2: I think just from when when they would the brief cuts to the crowd, um, you know, Reed just going crazy in his T-shirt. Um, just all those other little things. I mean, you definitely got a sense of what this meant. And I think also, it, you you even if you didn't know that, I mean, having grown up around that time, I would have been in high school when this game was played. And you already had a sense that anytime Notre Dame was going to play another program of the stature of Ohio State, that that was going to be a nationally resonant game. It was going to have... Eyeballs from across the country. It was going to be a big deal. Um, the fact that it's you get in some more regional ties. The fact that there's the the 60 year separation. I mean, I think all of that um, made made it. You, you could you could get that sense just from even the cut up version that I watched.
0: Steven, you you were a baby when this game was played, yeah. but we we talk so much about. Ohio State on the non-conference games they schedule, um, and they're out. You know they're you know they're scheduling USC and they play Texas and that kind of thing. What what do you think of the idea that it's it's been so rare for these two midwestern powers who are in neighboring states that I mean they are two of the great ten programs in college football history and they hardly ever play each other. Does it? Do you think they these guys should be playing more or does this kind of make sense that yeah it took sixty years now it took another twenty five years. How often should Notre Dame and Ohio State play? And Eric, just so you know, we did a podcast on Wednesday where we built a perfect conference for Ohio State, and everybody in the world said put Notre Dame in the Big Ten with Ohio State. So we'll get to that in a second. But Stephen, should these guys be playing more?
3: Yeah, they should be. I mean, sixty years is way too long for teams who are in neighboring states like this. And to that point of all of us putting them in the Big Ten, they should maybe even if they're not in the Big Ten, they should be playing maybe every five or six years or so, just because. Geographically, it just makes sense. And you've got two, you know, high quality football teams that close to each other. It shouldn't be 60 years. It shouldn't be 20 years either. It may be five or six years in between, but this should be happening a
1: lot more often.
0: Eric, can I ask a question from ignorance? And again, Eric, you haven't, you've been on this podcast before, but you haven't been on in a while. Most of my questions come from ignorance.
1: Well, hopefully my answer won't come from ignorance, but I'm not guaranteeing it.
0: Why does Notre Dame have? traditional rivalries with Michigan and Michigan State and Purdue where they do play them on somewhat regular basis and we know there are gaps in there and but yet Ohio State is a school that they've played only four times in the regular season in their histories.
1: Well there were a couple of reasons for that one is there was a point and I can't pinpoint the decade but it was way before any of us were born where the Big Ten wanted Notre Dame to be, be in the big 10 and the big 10 schools were also a little bit afraid. Some of them were also afraid of Notre Dame and what they could be as a power and they resented Notre Dame. So there was these conflicting things with some schools wanting to play them, some schools not wanting to have anything to do with them. And so Michigan State, which didn't join the Big Ten as early as some of these others, um, was willing to play Notre Dame. And that was kind of the genesis of that series. Michigan was, had a large gap. They played, uh, and, and then Michigan kind of resented Notre Dame's success. And then they kind of resumed things in the 70s and 80s and so forth and were playing almost every year. In fact, they took a break from the Michigan series to play the two against Ohio State in 95 and 96, and Purdue was also Notre Dame friendly. I, you know, Woody had so much to do with blocking Notre Dame in the 50s, 60s, and 70s because he absolutely thought it was would be – there wasn't anything to gain for Notre Dame to play or Ohio State to play Notre Dame. And, you know, in part of that stretch, you had the Air Parsegian years and, okay. uh, you know, from 1964 to 1974 – but that's that's a big reason why. There, there was also some negative experiences in terms of anti-Catholic stuff when Notre Dame came to Columbus in the 30s. But I think that that became a non-issue as we got into you know, the 40, 1940s and 1950s and society started to progress a little bit more.
0: So, so I want to get back to the game and Lou Holtz and everything else. But just very quickly, Eric, what year will Notre Dame join the Big Ten? Like what, like 2025, 2028? When can we mark this down?
1: You're not going to be able to mark it down. I don't <laughs> think in our, our lifetime. Now, I'm older than you guys. So, um, but, uh, you know, Notre Dame is signed a grants and right agreement with ACC, the ACC. So, if they're going to join a conference in football, it's going to be the ACC. They are in the Big Ten in hockey. Uh, but ah, that's no good ACC enough. In hockey, yeah. They are in the Big Ten in hockey. But I just I don't see it happening, and it would be a, a large philosophical shift. You know, they had the um, – there was a courtship a couple times between the Big Ten and Notre Dame where Notre Dame took it very seriously and then just decided to be independent. But I think the worry for, for Notre Dame going into the Big Ten is that if they had a couple of bad seasons, if they had a, like a Bob Davey stretch – that they would just become another Midwest school, and and they see themselves as a national school. They recruit nationally, and I think they also feel they have more in common with the ACC schools. There's more private schools in the ACC, at least there were when I was covering the Big Ten. I haven't done the new math with all these um, newer schools in it, but I think, isn't Northwestern the only private school? Yeah. Great. Okay, and and, like, the ACC has Wake Forest and they have Duke. So they have, they have a handful of them. Um, and so there's a little bit more commonality there. But from a recruiting standpoint, it also fits. They recruit Florida. They recruit Georgia. They recruit the Carolinas. So I just don't see them ever joining the Big Ten or at least, again, not in my lifetime.
0: All right, let's get back to Lou Holtz and a neck brace. Uh, okay. <laughs> I do. So I was, I, I, again, we'd like to go back and read some stuff. Bruce Hooley for The Plain Dealer back then did a giant feature on Lou Holtz. Going into this game, and this story has been told many times before. But again, as Eric mentioned, Lou Holtz was an assistant under Woody, and Bruce's story that tells a lot of his background with that. But then, when when Woody gets fired after the Clemson punch, uh, Lou Holtz is is in the mix. Lou Holtz had just been uh, was coming off a really successful year at Arkansas, um, and he was, I guess, one of five names that was maybe out there to replace Woody. And here's Lou Holtz talking about this. I got a call. This is a quote. To Bruce Hooley, I got a call from Ohio State and was asked to apply for the job that they would like to talk to me and interview me along with five other people. They understood who I was at Ohio State. I had coached there. My record was very well known. I didn't think an interview would cause any more light to be cast upon it. For them to ask me to interview would not have been fair to the people at Arkansas. I was not interested in pursuing it in that manner. Had they said, we would like you to come coach at Ohio State, that would have been completely different. It would have been very difficult to turn down. So that's that sort of semantic thing. Are you offering a job? Are you offering an interview? Lou Holtz felt he was kind of above an interview at that point. They end up going with Earl Bruce. We know that Lou Holtz uh, goes on to establish a great coaching career, which peaks at Notre Dame. But Eric, and you said you came in right after Lou Holtz and started covering Notre Dame full-time then. Is this a little bit here in 95 coming into this game? Is this a little bit sort of the the beginning of the downturn of Lou Holtz, that he had won a national championship at Notre Dame in 1988? 1993, they go 11-1. and one. They win the Cotton Bowl. They finish number two in the country. But in 94, they're 6-5-1. and one. And here we are in 1995. They're coming off to loss to Northwestern. And I don't know, it feels like the shell of Notre Dame is still there, but Lou Holtz only has two more years left at this point. Notre Dame in 95 is going to go nine and three and 96, they're going to go eight and three. And then he's done at Notre Dame. Is this the beginning of, of sort of the end of the Lou Holtz era in a game and a loss like this to the Buckeyes?
1: I, I really think it was, even though they played the next year in South Bend as top five teams, that wasn't a top five Notre Dame team at the end of the year. And There were some things going on at Notre Dame that made the job less invigorating for Lou Holtz. He was fighting with the athletic director. It wasn't the guy that hired him. Uh, It was Mike Wadsworth. They didn't get along. He didn't get along with uh, Father Beauchamp, who was the vice president of the university and who oversaw sports. So there was constant bickering, constant philosophical differences between those guys and the couple years that we're talking about, and even in 94 a little bit when they barely broke 500. And Lou himself, when he talks today even, he said, you know, I was trying to just kind of maintain at that point. He said, you you can't do that. You're either growing or you're regressing. And we were regressing. So he, by his own admission, feels like that was kind of, he was kind of sowing the seeds for the end of the Lou Holtz era there himself.
0: So we have a category on Buckeye Retalkables, and again, we'll get to our our categories in, little, in a little bit, that we call uh, Meme It, that if like if Twitter or social media was big back when this game was played, what would have turned into a meme? Nathan, have you ever seen someone coach in a neck brace before? There is a moment at the end of the game where they like zoom in on Lou Holt with his brace and he has like a turtleneck and it's a sort of tight shot. I just thought that's like a, you know, that would be like a meme of like a, a version of like a crying Jordan it's like neck brace Lou and we'll get to the backstory of like why that happened but it's just stunning and it's not it's a very serious health issue that he dealt with it's just stunning to sort of see that you flip on an old game and the coach is in a neck brace
2: yeah, Don't you think like in in today's day and age that guy would be up in the box like I don't even know if they think about him being down on the sideline I'm trying to think of in recent vintage when a coach with something that significant from a health standpoint would have just been walking the sidelines. Um, I don't know. I think maybe unless they were much younger. But, I mean, I I think in in, in 2020, I think that guy probably coached from the box or he's got somebody else down on the sideline for him.
0: Well, Eric, did not. Lou Holtz coached in the box the week before this, right? Was it some kind of shock that he was on the sideline for this
1: game? Yes, for anybody else but Lou. No, because it was Lou and he was pretty stubborn. He, you're right, he coached in the box against Texas at home. He had missed the game before that against Vanderbilt. Um, and so the speculation was, is he going to coach from the box or is he going to find his way down to the sideline? And there was a little bit of regret on his part because he bumped into people on the sideline and he felt every bit of it, but he was bound to determine this was a big enough game, there was no way he wasn't going to be on the sidelines. This was such a big game for Lou Holtz because for him it was a little bit of a referendum on whether Ohio State made the right decision in asking him for the interview back in, you know, the late 70s that the the other thing was he had another opportunity to come back much earlier when he was at William and Mary and Woody asked him to come back to be the defensive coordinator and said and then you can be my coach in waiting they even had that as a thing back then and lou said i don't think that they're going to honor that coach in waiting thing so he didn't end up coming back
0: wow i mean it is a lot of interesting history and you know i mean lou holtz again ends up having uh a very uh well-established successful career but i mean you know i mean I, i we all love those sliding door kind of moments you know i mean you you get lou holtz instead of earl bruce and then does that lead to John Cooper does Lou does Lou Holtz end up being here for 20 years not that Lou Holtz stayed for 20 years at Notre Dame um, so we'll, we'll get into Lou a little bit more but I did I do want to get before we get into our hardcore categories just sort of a vibe of the game again these are two Midwestern powers Notre Dame Notre Dame is an absolute well and, and, and as Eric said there are two powers that are in the Midwest they're more than Midwestern powers N- Notre Dame is Notre Dame Lou Holtz came in after Jerry Faust and got notre dame back to a version of its heyday won a national title is competing at the top of college football so just great big overview steven great big overview of you watch this game just who felt like had more who you felt like had more talent who felt like if you just were judging only off this game who feels like the better football program knowing that ohio state and notre dame are both big time schools
3: I would have gone with Ohio State just because they probably had some household names and as far as talent. Obviously, Eddie George winning the Heisman Trophy and then Orlando Pace, Mike Vrabel, Luke Fickle, you know, Terry Glenn. It seemed like you know, those first-name guys, of, oh, yeah, you, when you look at kind of household names and talent, Ohio State clearly wins that battle over Notre Dame in this situation. And then once you, the, turn, the turnover buck hit, you saw that talent go into action because a lot of those guys were the main guys making plays.
0: And Eric, so you are the Big Ten writer. We don't only want to just ask you Notre Dame questions because you're covering the Big Ten at this point. You're aware of, of everything going on. I just, I want to make one quick little point that I just, I feel like I have to make. And I, and I don't do this this much on this podcast. It's funny that Notre Dame opened this season with a loss to Northwestern. And I was even reading one of Hooley's old stories and it's like, they're referenced as traditional Big Ten doormat Northwestern. This is the year Northwestern went to the Rose Bowl. And so in week four, you know, you're watching, the, they're putting up the scores of games. Northwestern's beaten Indiana this week, right? But Northwestern followed up that opening week win over Notre Dame with the loss to Miami of Ohio. And so it was like, okay, it was like a fluke or whatever. Northwestern doesn't lose the rest of the regular season. But nobody knows it watching this game. So in talking about this game – the loss to Northwestern is viewed as like, oh my God, I can't, what's wrong with Notre Dame? And it was like, well, they lost to a freaking 10 win team. So I just had to make note that Northwestern was that good. But also the reason that Northwestern wound up in the Rose Bowl is because Ohio State was really good and then lost to Michigan at the end of the year. And Ohio State and Northwestern did not play this year. So from a Big Ten perspective, Eric, as you were getting ready and then as you're going back and, and researching and reminiscing about this game, how good did you realize, did people realize that Ohio State might be at this point in the season? And as people pointed out, Bob Greasy and Keith Jackson said in the broadcast, no patsies. I think they opened with Boston College, Washington, and Pitt or something like that. Like, and then they're playing Penn State the week after this. This is not a Bowling Green, Buffalo, Toledo schedule. But what was the sense, did you think, going into this game, that, that Ohio State might be really, really good? Or did you not quite know that yet?
1: Well, they were climbing in the polls, if I remember. And again, I think they were seventh when they played. I mean, Notre Dame was the, the team that was harder to get a feel for because, again, Northwestern was starting to beat other teams at that point. So that loss didn't look quite as bad. And Notre Dame just absolutely trucked Texas, who was ranked 13th the week they played Ohio State. I mean, they beat them by four touchdowns. And and even in later in the year, Notre Dame beat USC, which was number five. They beat them thirty-eight to ten. So there was some talent on that team. I, I think what I was where I thought Notre Dame might be vulnerable was on defense. I thought Ohio State might have just too overpowering of an offense. I didn't expect the game to be as high scoring as it was, but I thought if it got into a track meet, if it got into a score fest, that Ohio State probably had the advantage. I was still trying to size up what I thought about Eddie George. That game definitely made me feel like he was the best player in the country. I mean, when he rushed for over 200 yards on a Notre Dame defense, you know, I was was buying Eddie George stock at that point. I think hoeing the quarterback surprised me a little bit. When you looked at the quarterbacks in this game, Ron Paulus had been the number one player in the country coming out of high school. In his first game against Northwestern the prior season, Beno Cook predicted that he would win multiple Heisman trophies. Um, and I thought Notre Dame, we, we all kept waiting for Ron Paulus to turn into that guy, and he never really did. I think even in subsequent games and subsequent years, Bobby Hoeing was the better quarterback if you look back at history. But going into that game, boy, Ron Paulus had the, uh, had the following. And, the, you know, we all – I'm sure there's a lot of Iowa State players you look back and they came in hyped and they didn't live up to the, to the billing. And Ron Paulus was certainly one of them for Notre Dame.
0: It feels like yeah, in that era, Ron Paulus, and it was almost unfair. I mean, like Bino Cook was a great character of college football, but man, it's like who's dropping the multiple Heisman prediction on anybody? <laughs> yeah. And uh, and I remember the recruitment of Ron Paulus, and like just what a what a circus that was, and what a big deal it was when he picked. He's a Pennsylvania kid; he picks Notre Dame, and then he just he just never really had a chance uh, to live up to the height. Then I mean, it, but it does. It repeats itself. I mean, like Jimmy Clausen did a version of that you know, a couple decades later and you know that much better than I do, Eric. Um, Eric, before we let you go here, I know you did do some research and looking back on this. It just, it does feel like that you can feel the gravity of this game a little bit. Maybe it's just because Keith Jackson's calling it and it's fun to go back and listen and and hear his voice. Um, But you could feel it a little bit it it was, it felt a little bit, I don't know, like two ships passing in the night, you know, that it's like, a, and I, I'm going to make a point at the end of this, that I think it, this really is kind of a moment for both, for both programs. But is there anything else you want to add? Just the, 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 again, this was such a big deal. It was a really competitive game for two and a half, three quarters, um, It's great that we get to see these teams on the field. I'm excited that they have signed another deal and we're going to get to see another home and home in two years. Again, they come back in 96. They play this game in South Bend. One thing I was double checking I was looking for, I said, should we be looking for a young urban Meyer on the sideline in this game? That's 96. Urban becomes a Notre Dame assistant under Lou Holtz in 96. He's at Colorado State right now. So you don't have to be looking in this game for a sneaky Urban sighting roaming the sidelines. Eric, before we let you go, anything else you just want to add to this big non-conference matchup?
1: Well, again, just you knew outside the stadium that day. You knew outside the stadium afterwards. You know, I think High Street went nuts that night. It it was one of the most memorable games Certainly one of the most memorable atmospheres I've covered in, you know, college sports and doing this since 1983. So I would say that would be at the top of my list in terms of atmosphere. And, and um, I know I talked to Andy Geiger actually in the Ohio State's AD at the time in the press box the next year uh, in South Bend and asked him about the possibility of these two teams playing on a more regular basis and that both Mike Wadsworth and Andy Geiger felt like, yeah, this has been tremendous for college football, but it just didn't happen on a regular basis. I'm glad to see it coming back in 2022 and 2023. I'm not sure that Brian Kelly is because they play Clemson those, those years as well that they're playing Ohio state.
0: Wow. I didn't realize that. Sorry, Brian. (laughs) <laughs> that is a little that is a little bit that's different that's different than playing Rutgers in maryland baby um so and just real quick so again hopefully i'm hoping we get a couple of notre dame listeners maybe on this podcast cuz i think it's fun to re, to relive things like this ohio state is not playing because the big 10 is not restarting until october 24th notre dame is not playing this weekend because of some positive covid-19 tests within the program it's just something that so many every program across the country has to deal with if you're going to try to play. What's it been like, Eric, Notre Dame has been pretty upfront, right? With releasing some of its testing numbers. It feels like Notre Dame has had some good patches of some really good testing numbers. Then a couple rough patches. Were you surprised when the news came down that, Hey, the, the, the game that was scheduled for this Saturday against Wake Forest is going to have to be postponed.
1: I am just because they had done so well with this all summer Their numbers were so good, and their campus is crushing it. You know, they had, if you take the football players out of it, there were 28 active cases on campus as of yesterday um, with 12,000 students, and that includes employees, teachers, and so forth. So there wasn't really the environment that you would think that you'd get an outbreak, but I actually talked to someone that consults with Notre Dame, a medical professional that consults with Notre Dame. I talked to him today. And they did, once the season started, they re they introduced some new things. You know, the players had meals together on Friday, which was something they hadn't been doing. You also had parents coming in from out of town, a lot of them on flights, and taking their sons out to dinner, you know, uh, in indoor restaurants, or, and again, you know, if you're flying, there's some risk in terms of picking up the virus, you know, in traveling and so forth. But as of today, they are still trying to find the source of the outbreak. They have not turned that over with the contact tracing. And, and again, eventually we may see the ACC going to what the Pac-12, and I think the Big Ten is doing this too, with the daily antigen tests, which is going to, I think, reduce the amount of postponements and cancellations that we're seeing.
0: Eric Hansen, we will see you. On September 3rd, 2022, Notre Dame at Ohio State. And then September 23rd, 2023, Ohio State at Notre Dame. Eric Hansen from the South Bend Tribune, Ohio native, Ohio State graduate. Thanks so much for joining us here on Buckeye Retalkables.
1: Thanks. And I hope we will not be talking about COVID that day. Fingers
0: crossed. All right, Buckeye Retalkable listeners, Nathan, Stephen, and I will be back uh, after this break. We'll start breaking down our category, starting off with who owned this game next on Buckeye Retalkables. All right, back on Buckeye Talk. It's the Buckeye Retalkables. It's Ohio State, Notre Dame from 1995. This game was played on September 30th, 1995. It was a 330 kick in Ohio Stadium. Number seven, Ohio State. Number 15, Notre Dame. Ohio State wins this game 45 to 26. We are now going to go through our normal Buckeye Retalkable categories in breaking this down. As Stephen mentioned, like a lot of fun Ohio State names in this game. Um, I mean, it's great. It's just it's great to watch like Mike Vrabel and Luke Fickle on the defensive line and, and what they've gone on to do. But Stephen, our opening category every time on Buckeye Retalkables is who owned this game, who owned
3: this game. I'm not going to go with a player. I'm going to go with an offensive coordinator. That's Joe Hollis. I mean, everybody on offense who needed to play well in this game, played well in this game. Bobby Hoying, 14-22, to 22, 272 with four touchdowns. Eddie George, a 200-yard game with two touchdowns, including a 61-yard run and three catches, 22 yards. And then Terry Glenn, four catches for 128 yards, especially in that second half when this turned into you know a turnover machine for Notre Dame. That offense got clicking. And, you know, a lot of – some of that is play calling. Some of that is just having talent. So, when you have a bulk of different guys on offense having a great day, you can't just pin it on one guy. You got to go go to the guy above. In, in a world where assistant coaches are middle managers, this time an assistant coach was a pretty good middle manager.
2: Nathan, who owned it for you? I think that's a pretty good answer, although I dispute how well Bobby Hoyne played in this game. I, I took the easy way out and picked Eddie George, and I know that a big chunk of his yards came on just one huge run in this game. But I thought this is another example of you, you watch games like this play out and you understand sometimes how not every running back treats a, a hole on the line the same way. There's guys who can just do more with that. And the same way that there's guys who can do more with nothing. I thought there were plenty of times in this game. And I saw this in, in recent vintage in the Big Ten from people like Saquon Barkley, from people like Rondo Moore. Like sometimes their big contribution, a, a critical contributions in a game can be what a mortal would have – made a a it would have been a first down play that would have resulted in like a second and 12 they make it second and nine like just getting you those few yards when there's nothing there to get i think sometimes are what sustain a team for those bigger moments late in the game and in, in a game like this uh superstars have to stand up step up and i thought he did that in the second half
0: eddie george is a really interesting watch in this game realizing what happens Which is, he wins Ohio State's first Heisman Trophy since Archie Griffin in this game. Ohio State ran 70 offensive plays in this game. Eddie George was part of 35 of them, he was half the offense. He carried it 32 times, he caught three passes. 32 carries for 207 yards. I will say, and and this is just different for me, again, because I didn't cover this. I was not an Ohio State fan. I did not grow up in Ohio. I just don't know about this era. I don't. I'm not going to pretend that I do. I knew Eddie George was good. I knew he won the Heisman Trophy. I knew he had a great NFL career. I agree with you, Nathan. Like, he's not spectacular. He's not Ezekiel Elliott. He's not. He has giant shoulders, But you described it exactly right. He gets those extra couple yards. And then I also did not know this. There is a very famous Eddie George photo from this game that I think was taken by somebody at the Columbus Dispatch. I think, I bet you it's the photo that Eddie George autographs more than any any photo in his career, at least near the top. It's him with eight Notre Dame defensive players behind him. And Eddie has that ball tucked up high in his left arm. He's making a cut. It's not a touchdown run. Yeah. I always yeah. assumed it was a touchdown run. It's on the 61-yard run, but he doesn't quite have the juice to get in the end zone on a run like that. He does have the juice to freaking run you over and make it second and five instead of second and eight, which is valuable. But it's, it's an interesting picture of Eddie George. And I will say, I mean, again w- – there are going to be people who are listening to this who are smarter about this era and smarter about this game and, and absorbed it in the moment, and we didn't. This is the start of Eddie George's Heisman campaign because this is a quote from Bruce, uh, Bruce Hooley's story after the game. George now has 649 yards and six touchdowns this season, but remains a reluctant Heisman Trophy candidate. Quote, I don't know if I am or not, I don't know if I am or not, George said. All I know is I played against Notre Dame today and did my job to the best of my abilities. If I'm up for the Heisman, great. If I'm not, I've got Penn State next week, then Wisconsin, and on and on. And the guy wins it. So, I mean, it's not like in this... uh, Again, listening to the game, it's not like Bob Greasy. Stephen, you and I watch the whole cut. It's not like Bob Greasy and Keith Jackson every minute are saying, he's going to win the Heisman. He's going to win the Heisman. He's going to win the Heisman. Now it's week Mm -hmm. four, but also... You know he's a really good player right now, but he is not the obvious consensus leader of the pack to be the best player in the country, and and that started I think now.
3: Yeah, it it wasn't necessarily loud. I guess outside of that run, obviously the way maybe Chase's you know campaign for being a. A candidate was very loud when he did that against Wisconsin. That run almost reminds me of some the Clemson game with J.K. Dobbins. That second run, and sometimes earlier in the season too, where he have these breakout runs for forty plus yards, but then he just get caught near the end of it.
0: And just to be a, you, I, I know sure. you're not comparing him to J.K. You're comparing the runs. J.K. is like a little bowling ball. Eddie, yeah, Jay, yeah, yeah, Eddie George is a is a giant. Yeah, he's six three. He's still that it, way. <laughs> it looks it looks like he has a two by four across his shoulders.
2: Yeah. I I just, I remember watching Eddie George at that time in my life and just when you're in high school and you look at that and he was just one of those guys who just in appearance set himself apart. Even the guy, a dude, even who was just walking around set himself, I think apart in just the way he looked like he looked apart in a real way. I thought it was interesting. You mentioned Ezekiel Elliott and the contrast between those two, because I was struck by this is the third rewatchable we've done. The second one was the um, Ohio state, Oregon Rose bowl and how different, that team used Ezekiel Elliott compared to what this team did with Eddie George right from the beginning of the game. Like remember we we watched that Oregon game and we're like, When are they gonna give Ezekiel Elliott the not, damn ball?
3: Not Oregon. Not Oregon. <laughs> not Oregon. Virginia Tech.
2: Virginia Tech. Sorry. Yeah. Sorry. Virginia Tech game. Um
3: that's Sorry, I got, college, I, we've only done little,
2: three, and I already got them confused. That's a long uh, college career. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, the, the Virginia Tech game, we, we were watching that, and we're like, when are they going to give Izzy at the ball? And in this game, it was Eddie George gets a handoff, and then Eddie George takes a swing pass. And, like, they, were, they knew what their identity was, and their identity was Eddie George. Now, they didn't have a lot of other weapons, but, the, but the, the central part of what Ohio State football was that year and what, was, what it was end up going to end up being that year, anyway, was Eddie George.
3: Ohio State's best weapons got the ball, and the Michael Thomas of that era would have been Terry Glenn, and he got the ball, and he made plays with it. But I do think the most interesting thing here is looking at the style of offense in the 90s in comparison to now, where back then everything was under center and a lot of eye form. How often, And we got excited last year when Ohio State went under center in the in goal line situation. This, in this era, they're just doing it from the 50-yard line.
0: Well, Walt Harris got mentioned in this game. He was Ohio State's quarterback coach that arrived this year, was Mm -hmm. here for two years with Cooper. And that was a name that came up a lot. He went on to be the head coach at Pitt, then was the leader of the head coach at Stanford. In that trestle era that we talked about with the Oregon rewatch, when people thought Ohio State's offense was sterile, Walt Harris's name would pop up as like, why don't you hire a guy like Walt Harris? You know, it's like, and all they're doing is like, they're handing the ball to Eddie George and throwing a couple slants to Terry Glenn. It's not like it's, it's not the spread. It's not, uh, but it's, get the ball to your playmakers. So yeah.
2: Maybe Terry Glenn was actually the Ezekiel Elliott of this game. Cause he did only end up catching four passes. I think, I mean, he, he was the one where you would say like, well, you've got yeah. this kind of, this kind of star, like maybe he needs to get the ball more somehow. I know you're taking it away from your Heisman trophy running back to do it. So that's always one of those, you know, armchair quarterback things everybody does after the fact, but he's the one that I watching him play. You're like, man. Now I also think there were other opportunities there to get him the ball. And again, quarterback play might've, let him down a couple times
0: i mean again we're not here to like take shots at people but if you're running 70 offensive plays i'm very comfortable handing it to eddie george 32 times and only having bobby Hoying throw it 22 times Uh, bobby Hoying uh, that did not make me want to see bobby Hoying throw it 40 times in that game no all right next category is the under uh the jt barrett underappreciated player of the game nathan who did you have for this so I had a couple
2: guys. I had one on each side of the ball. I picked Ricky Dudley on offense um, because on a team where you have kind of these flashy guys, you've got a Heisman Trophy winner, you got Terry Glenn. You've even got someone like Bobby Hoying who had, I think, name recognition and, and would go on to his NFL career. But Ricky Dudley was a, a first-round draft pick, so I remember him being a bigger deal at the time. But I don't know that he like sustains out of this game as, as, with the same kind of star power, and he had some big plays. And then and also Ty Howard had some big plays. It wasn't his fault that they didn't recover that fumble later in the game that really would have sealed it up. But I think that was the second one that he caused. Um, so a, a big game off the corner for him.
0: Ricky Dudley is – he's like – you know we, we talk about tight ends so much. Ricky Dudley is like next level. I mean, there's some stuff that that guy does. He, he has uh, – this is like his big breakout year at Ohio State. And as you said, he goes not on – he's not just a first-round pick. He's like a high first-round pick. He ends I'm up with – Seventh or ninth, yeah. 37 catches – 575 yards seven touchdowns this season in an offense with terry glenn and eddie george so um yeah that that guy is that guy is is just another level of talent and it's one of those things it's like there's a lot of guys over the years like nick vanette and jeff hireman or whatever are great players and you know ricky dudley is like holy moly steven hoosier jt barrett underappreciated player of the game
3: Yeah. I had Ty Howard as well. I mean, a five, nine corner, you know, making those type of plays all over the field. I mean, especially in a defense that has some other big names that we've already mentioned, he kind of gets to fly under the radar a little bit until you mention him.
0: I went with uh, Demetrius Stanley who caught a critical touchdown pass um, in this game. He is a guy who, is going to go on the next year. This is his junior year. He only has 13 catches for 177 yards and four touchdowns, but he has the touchdown catch in this game that, that I thought was – it was his only catch, a 17-yard touchdown, I thought was like a little bit like Chris Olave, like make a play on the ball in the air, like turn your body. Lynn Swan on the sideline is talking about how it was a like he adjusted to the ball so well. Demetrius Stanley then senior year, the next year in 96 – He's 43 catches, 829 yards, eight touchdowns. So this is like an early flash of the way that Demetrius Stanley is going to make much bigger contributions. But that play, again, from the, the Bruce Hulu story after the game, Lou Holtz said, uh, this is a 17-yard touchdown to Stanley with 49 seconds left in the first half. And Notre Dame had been up by 10. Now they're only up by three. Lou Holtz, quote, the touchdown right before halftime was a big bake for, big break for them, I'm sure. Stanley, quote, it was a post corner. So I was supposed to run inside and then take the pattern to the corner. The defensive back had me covered, but Bob put the ball behind me while he, when he looked up. So Hooley asked, was that a great throw by Hoying? Bob Hoying says, I actually threw it before I wanted to because of the rush. Demetrius just made a great play on it. The ball's in the wrong spot. He's looking outside. He turns, looks inside, and makes the catch. And it absolutely changes the momentum of the game. So I don't know, maybe you guys had Demetrius Stanley down the line. That guy made one play right before halftime, flips the momentum, and it was like, I don't know that there's – not every receiver would have caught that ball.
2: Yeah, I definitely had – I took note of it only because in a a game where – I sound like I'm some kind of Bobby Hoying hater. In a game where the quarterback numbers looked pretty good – That's one of the reasons why. Like you take away that you you take away that pass, those yards, that income, and 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 that touchdown off the board, and it makes his numbers just that one play
0: makes his numbers look a little bit more pedestrian.
3: Which is the story of the wide receivers in this game. They often made the quarterback look good.
0: Again, to be clear, Notre Dame had jumped out to a 17-7 lead. That catch in the last minute of the first half makes it 17-14 going to halftime. So that. That was quite a play by Demetrius Stanley, who then had, has gone on to have a nice media career uh, in Columbus. Really good guy, really good play right there. Uh, let's go to our slob moment of the game. It's, uh, again, a lot of these categories came from our tech subscribers originally. You can be a tech subscriber uh, and get our, our, our stuff in your phone, everything about Ohio State football at 614-350-3315, and then you can help us do our job. You can help create podcasts and come up with ideas that become part of the legacy of Buckeye Retalkable. So it's the slob moment of the game, Steven, What would you have for this? This is to like call out a really good play by an offensive lineman.
3: Yeah. So Orlando Pace, who's a sophomore in this game, believe it or not, and then Jamie Summer on that left of the offensive line. I think it's the first quarter, about nine thirty to play. They opened up. Uh, Orlando Pace uh, took a guy. He moved him to the left and just drug him away from the rest of the play. My, meanwhile, Jamie Sumner is, is like upfield, just blocking upfield. I think he takes like two guys out and opens up the biggest hole in the world for, um, for Eddie George, who makes like a 13 or 14-yard gain on the play. It was just – it reminded me of the Wyatt Davis and Josh Myers highway, but the original version because Orlando Pace is the greatest offensive lineman in Ohio State history.
0: Yeah, the Pace – the Pace interstate is kind of just on its own. You don't even need – it's just that. where super he, highway.
3: Yeah. It's just, he can, yeah. he can get it. He What's crazy If you play next to him, you can get a pancake just because you're next to him.
0: I, I did go with the, on the 61 yard Eddie George run that we mentioned before uh, Ricky Dudley co- and, and pace kind of seal a lane. And then Jamie Sumner, the left guard comes out, pulls is a lead blocker. And when Eddie George, credit to Eddie George, but there is a lane, there is a lane, just like the Ezekiel Elliott run, against Alabama. Like you got to be a great back. You got to find it, but it was there for the taking. And so I, I thought that was just some really good blocking on the edge uh, to spring that big run. Nathan, what was your slob moment? The point of order are, is it
2: only offensive lineman
0: or someone like a fullback?
3: You can I slob it full, up. I picked you know, the fullback know. in the Oregon game. So. Okay.
2: So I was going to pick on, on the play that Bobby Hoying's talking about where the blitz is coming and he had to throw it fast. Nikki Sualua coming up and cutting down the blitzing linebacker. That probably was the only reason he still had a chance to make that throw to make it 17-14. I thought that was a huge play. Um, also, just even the first play of the, of, of the game, and I, I couldn't – I had trouble reading the number. I think it might have been Eric Goldstein, like pulling from the other side of the line that come out and lead this huge hole that opens up for Eddie George on the first play of the game. I, I They weren't able to sustain that momentum that they had early on, but I just thought that that was sort of indicative of what that team wanted to be. And, and, and a play that they had obviously probably like designed and rehearsed and scripted to be the first play of the game and, and just executing it well.
0: And you can, I mean, you do. I think the thing you said about identity early on is like, they just, they got some big dudes on the offensive line. They have one of the best tackles in the history of football who is growing into that role and a big physical running back. And they just don't pretend, right? I mean, it's just, there's not, you're not waiting. They're not running a lot of jet sweeps. They're not running weird wrinkles. They're just getting down to business. Um, so you you could see the way that line and that running back really paired uh, paired together and, and really made it happen. The Malik Hooker, where did he come from award? I'll start here because I realize I've already screwed this up. I actually, that, I gave Demetrius Stanley this award for where did he come from? I had given him the underappreciated guy, then I realized, no, there's a different underappreciated guy, but then I forgot that and forgot the category. So I actually said, where did he come from, Demetrius Stanley? Because I had my underappreciated guy was Luke Fickle. Actually, early on, Luke Fickle, classically underappreciated. He's like a nose guard. Again, he's not a nose tackle. He's like a nose guard, right? I don't even know what the, why people call it different. But this was just like a – he's like a take up a double team so Vrabel and Matt Finkus, who are two of his best friends, can, like, get to work on stuff. And Luke had a had a penetration on a third down run that felt like a big play in the moment. And then actually Notre Dame went for it in fourth down and got it, so it didn't really matter. He had a sack on, like, a really important play – and there's a lot of plays in this game where Luke is just like slamming himself into two offensive linemen and just taking up space. And then like two or three times, he gets in the backfield very quickly and messes stuff up. So we all know Luke was a four-year starter here. He, ple- he started as many games as anybody until Billy Price came along. He was a really good player for a really long time. But most of the time, he's kind of just, you know – mixing it up, being a wrestler inside. So I got the categories out of order, but I wanted to give a shout out to both Demetrius Stanley and to Luke Fickle. Who is your uh, Malik Hooker? Where did he come from award, Nathan?
2: Uh, this is where I thought maybe Stanley would fit in. I was I don't yeah, know the roster in and hair. out, but yeah. they, I thought it was a good spot for him. Yeah, so I screwed well, it up.
3: Yeah, me as well. That's a big play at the end of the half, especially since you don't know that there's going to be a turnover machine in the third quarter.
0: Yeah, sorry about that. I screwed that up. All right, the Jim Trestle punt or not to punt moment. So this is like a discussion about, you know, a a coach kind of make a decision about going for it or not, that kind of thing, it doesn't have to be about punting. Um, I actually thought there were a couple interesting ones here. Steven, what was your moment for this?
3: Yeah, so Notre Dame had like a fake punt in the fourth quarter, um, I, which they clearly needed. They needed to hold on to the ball and go score at that point, and they just didn't get it. He got close to the line, but just came a little couple inches short. But that's a clear situation where you're down and you need points. So I completely agreed with them going for it. It just, you know, it didn't work out for you, Nathan. What do yeah,
2: I like the guts of that play. I thought it was a juncture of the game where you needed, um, you could plausibly be punting, but that's probably the best time to try to spring something like that. Although I suppose the other team should be, um, you know, they've got the upper hand there a little bit and they can afford to hang back and not have to come at you because they're the ones that are out in front. I actually liked, you know, early in the game, Ohio State went for it on fourth and goal on the the second possession. And I like that. I I like that call. I mean, with a team that good at home, um, you're looking good early on. You're rolling. I I think I you, you have to believe that so you can make something happen in that situation. And I think you probably also have some confidence in your defense. So I, I I like them going forward in that situation early on rather than just taking the points.
0: I I thought there was smart by the analytics coaching decisions. In the mid 90s, that we since have seen a lot of coaches pucker and not do this stuff. I thought Cooper going for it on fourth down in a game where you feel like these are two talented teams. You're not going to win with threes. Exactly right. I agree with that. Notre Dame, the fake punt. They're down late. What do you do? You're just going to punt. You're down two scores. What are you going to do? Just punt your way to a loss? Go for it. It didn't work. Exactly right. And I also thought Notre Dame scored in the fourth quarter to cut it to 35-26 with 12.55 left, they could have kicked the extra point to to be down eight. But the analytics tell you if you're down 15 and you need an eight and a seven, try to get the eight first because don't wait to find out because if you take the extra point and then you score a touchdown late and miss the two-point conversion, you're dead, right? But you maybe have not been behaving with the idea of we still need two scores the analytics tell you go for the two point conversion first find out whether you make it or not so then you can judge and play the rest of the game they went for two didn't make it so they're down nine but then they did the fake punt because they knew they were down two scores if they had gone and kicked the extra point they're down eight maybe they don't do the fake punt so now you're doing this, now you're trying, but then you missed the two-point conversion at the end, right? Because you did miss the two-point conversion. I know, I think we've had this discussion before. Some people, momentum of the game, keep your team in it, argue against that. The numbers, the analytics tell you to definitely do it that way. It's a matter of whether you want to listen to the analytics or not, but there's no doubt about by the numbers, what you should do. And Lou Holtz did it. And it felt like in the moment, like very futuristic to me. So I thought Cooper and Holtz both made good decisions like that to give their team the best chance, even if it didn't work.
3: And to the point of momentum of the game, I mean, you're down two scores. And the reason you're down two scores is because all momentum has shifted. You need a little bit of that back, at least a little bit to calm down, whatever, you know, Ohio State has going on. So, yeah, in both of those situations, had it worked out in your favor, at least you start to swing something back in your, in your, on your side of the ball.
2: It's also uh, – there was one play that I thought could have been catastrophic in this game, and it, it harkens back to an era of football where people actually did kickoff returns, which it's, it's – it's fun watching these games back when people actually did kickoff returns because it seems like it's something that we've just, you know, obviously uh, flushed out of the game in a lot of ways. But Ohio State did – or I'm sorry, Notre Dame had already punted or fumbled the ball away on that punt return. Ohio State goes up 21-20, to 20, and then on the ensuing kickoff return, they come out with this nonsense razzle-dazzle thing. I feel like somebody was trying to do a fake handoff on a kick return – once per quarter. And they almost fumbled that away. And it would have, that would have just been the end of the game almost. Like, I think Ohio State could have punched it in, and now they're off to the races. And um, I just – I don't know. I, I'm glad we've I, – I, I lament the loss of the kickoff return, but I've always hated the uh, the fake handoff cutesy stuff. Um, I don't know that it ever really gets you what you want to get out of it. It's 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 much more perilous than what, what you're guaranteed to get out of it. And um, I'm glad that that part of the game has maybe kind of gone by the wayside.
0: I think they actually did hand it off, right? Yeah.
2: I think on that play, maybe the yeah, maybe that play they actually did. I think they handed off
0: and they dropped it, right? Yeah. yeah. They almost yeah. So so the next category up is the Tim Beck, uh, Tim Beck, Bill Davis bad coaching decision. I, I think that is a or questionable coaching moment. I think that's a good candidate for that. Yeah, that's a like, better
2: example there. Yeah.
0: What are you doing, Steven, You're nodding your head. Why are oh, you doing
3: that? That that's the per- just you know get some yards and get down and get on offense. I don't. There's, there's aggressive, you know, but there's calculated aggressiveness and then there's just being aggressive for the sake of being aggressive. And that usually comes back to bite you in the butt. And that's exactly what that was. You're doing too much and overthinking. Sometimes to simplify things.
0: Yeah, it was, it was a little hard to, to cause that, there's a difference between like going for it and like the strategic decision versus like the, that didn't feel strategic. That felt razzle dazzle for no reason, Nathan, as you said, it's like, why that, why then?
3: how often does that actually work in a real game too
0: right and just at that juncture of the game
2: like one of the things that could go wrong there when you're doing a handoff is there could be like the the chance of a turnover is greater than if you're just having a guy return the kick i would argue so then you're just you just gave the ball away that resulted in a touchdown and now you're calling a play that has a greater than average chance of a a usual kickoff return to have another turnover like that that to me just doesn't make sense
0: and and notre dame just did i mean notre dame had a bunch of key turnovers in this game as you said yeah. they had dropped the punt before this which was a huge play Sean Springs had an interception that was a huge game they fumble a center exchange right when the game is in the balance their last chance to kind of hang on and so they're already a little loose and it's like now you're gonna give your you're gonna give yourself an excuse to be even looser with the ball it's it's, it's sort of like um, like what are you doing the the other thing that I wasn't sure about, and not to, I don't only want to make fun about this, but should Lou Holtz have been on the sideline in terms of a questionable coaching moment? Do you understand the idea of, I coached at this school. I could have taken over for Woody. This is, they've been, people have been waiting 60 years for us to play again. I'm back in Ohio Stadium. I've won a national championship. I'm not sitting in the box or should just, he have sat
3: in the box? Honestly, it's, it's a great. I think it's a great motivational thing. To, you know, if you're a player and you see your coach on the sideline through everything he had been through the last 18 days, and he's still there with you. But no, things happen, and something really bad could have happened on that sideline. And like, like Eric said, he had been bumping into guys. Now imagine if a guy would have came off the field and you know crashed into him. That happens sometimes. That that could have gone really bad for Lou L- Holtz.
2: I mean, this is just a football guy thing. Like, how old and and how many issues did Joe Paterno have before he finally, like, went up to the box? I mean, he was uh, in, in really rough shape, I think, at that point in his life before they, he finally went up to the box to start. Uh, did I say Luke Holtz? I meant Joe Paterno. Joe, I
1: Paterno. Joe Paterno going up to yeah. the
2: box. Okay. Um, I, I, and this is – it's just one of – it's, it's, it's like why every high school team has that one guy who's built like a fireplug, but he'll still be wearing shorts and a blizzard in december if he has to to coach his team like that's just there it's a football guy mentality i think this is just lou holtz's version of that
0: again from from the story on this holtz had undergone spinal surgery for a problem that threatened paralysis if not corrected immediately the surgery caused him to miss not only his first practice since becoming a head coach in 1969 but also his first game so that's like, I mean, that's like serious stuff. I mean, really, that's like that's like real life stuff. And the guys on the sideline in a neck brace, um, trying to trying to do his job in a, in a really big game. Uh, all right, it's the Kenny Guyton Next Man Up Award, um, and I'm going to give this to Brooks Burris, who had to come in when Orlando Pace puked. They spent. Yeah. <laughs> They spent a lot of time, Orlando Pace, it was hot. It was 85 degrees on this late September day in Columbus. And Orlando Pace came out of the game late in the second quarter. And they were kind of like, what's going on? Again, as Steven said, he's a sophomore. He's starting to become Orlando Pace. And they said he was throwing up and like, they didn't know why. And Bob Greasy said, maybe he ate too many pancakes, which is like, I I don't know. You want to say that to his face? Bob Greasy, it's like, ha ha. You you, pancake defensive lineman. Now you're puking. So uh, Brooks Burris had to come in. Brooks Burris goes on. He's a he's a he's a young guy. I think he's a freshman at this moment. Orlando yeah. Pace is a sophomore. He goes on to be a two year starter uh, on the other side of the offensive line in his Ohio State career. But he gets thrown in here. Seems to do fine. He's actually in there on this drive as they co- as they go down and and score this touchdown that we talked about already was so vital at the end of the first half. And then whatever happens at halftime. Orlando Pace is back in the game uh, at the when, when Ohio State comes on the field in the third quarter. But, Nathan, I don't know. I, I'm not sure I would want to be the guy to have to replace Orlando Pace against Notre Dame on a hot day in September when you're a freshman.
2: That was something that I didn't really pick up on watching just the quick cuts, but, I mean, there's almost no better example of that, other than maybe somebody who had to come in and play a full game. But, I mean, you're coming in for, like, just this statue of a man who is revered as maybe the greatest offensive lineman of all time. You're playing – what at the time looked like it could end up being the biggest game of the season in some ways. And, you know, depending on what happens in the big 10 and um, the the game that might spring your national championship hopes. And um, (laughs) now that guy's barfing, you got to turn to a freshman. I mean, that's, that is a tough call. And, and, and uh, he didn't have to come in and be Orlando pace. He just had to come in and not be the worst version of himself and look like he did that.
0: And not come in and have a false start that kills a drive. How often right, do you see an right. offensive lineman come mm-hmm. in and flinch and all of a sudden it's it's first and fifteen and it could be a drive killer? And he didn't do that. And that was important. Uh, Nathan, did you, did you did you have a specific next man up?
2: I, I didn't. I just I not knowing this team well enough, I didn't have a great answer for that.
0: Steven, do you have one?
3: No, Barris was mine and I'll I'll save the rest of mine for the next category, what I want to say about the, the tackle the two tackle positions, but yeah, Barris was also mine because this is an era where you know there's not a lot of underclassmen playing
0: the john cooper if he'll bite he'll bite as a pup category it's talking about is there a guy who sort of flashes as a freshman flashes as a young guy that maybe isn't going to be a star right now in 1995 but is going to go on and have a good career Uh, again some of these are hard when we don't know the teams as well uh steven did you have one for this
3: yeah, I did, and to the point of what I was saying about the tackles. All three of the tackles who played in this game Brooke Barris coming in for Orlando Pace when he had the puke—were second-year guys. Brooke Barris, he he redshirted as a freshman, so he's a so he's a redshirt freshman. But the other two are true sophomores, and that's who your tackles are. The, the other the other three offensive line spots were upperclassmen, seniors on the on the offensive line, and so you've got underclassmen in their first years as a starters, you know, making big plays. And we all know what Orlando Pace went on to be. Barris was a pretty good as well, and so was Goldstein. But it's just the fact that. That class, you had three offensive tackles in the class, and year two, they're all making you know major contributions. Two of them starting on the offensive line is a big deal, especially. I mean, look at twenty nineteen. The only sophomore who was a starter out there was Wyatt Davis. This year, the same thing. The only sophomore starting will be Harry Miller.
0: Did you have a uh, a pup, a pup that you like, Nathan? I went
2: looking for freshmen, and I came on Damon Moore, who is, a, I guess, kind of a reserve safety in this game. He had three tackles, not a huge contribution to this game, but somebody who over the course of his career, I think he had something like 12 interceptions. He was a, a mid-round NFL draft pick. So just an example of one of those guys who maybe at this point in his career was more you know, special teams and reserve and, and then what he built to by the
0: time he was done at Ohio State. I, I was looking back at something about uh, this recruiting class, for Ohio State and like it wasn't great I don't think this was like a super you know paces in the class before but like this crop of freshmen I don't know that it was you know Cooper had some really good classes but they do mention Brent Bartholomew who was the punter in this game is a true freshman he goes on to punt for four years at Ohio State 95 96 97 98 but he's not very good yet and Bob Greasy like he has a punt early on and Bob Greasy is like yeah the freshman punter he's not very good. And it was like, okay, but I, uh, there's this, there is this huge play where, and I just, we have to establish this. I we're getting, I like the categories, but I do want to make sure we establish this. And I want to just make this point at the end of this. I think I have some very specific reasons of why this is a very transformational game. I think it's a transformational game for the Ohio state program, for the Notre Dame program, for John Cooper, for the King of the North, this is a little bit of a line in the sand, and I've had this King of the North project. I've been talking about. I've been talking about forever. I think you could almost like set a scene around this game, these two m- teams in the Midwest that haven't played in sixty years, and who is the best football program in this part of the country? That's how big of a deal I think. I think this can be. Notre Dame came out and dominated this game at the start. If you yeah. watch the first quarter and a half, you're like, well, Notre Dame's going to win. And then they dropped a punt. And I think they almost dropped the punt because it was so short. Ohio State's punting from midfield. So this is a chance like midfield, right? If you kick like a nice like 42-yard punt, you're going to try to pin him at the eight. The punt goes to like the 20. It's like a 31-yard punt. And the punt returner for Notre Dame kind of has to run up to get it, and he overruns it. Then he has to go back, and he drops it. He muffs it. Ohio State recovers. Huge momentum swing. So Bartholomew, who, like, didn't punt great, I think his lack of good punting actually was fortuitous for Ohio State. But we want to be very clear for this rewatch. Ohio State wound up winning by whatever, 19 they did not look like the better team early on. Nathan, no, I, I didn't think it was close early on. Notre Dame was just marching down the field at will. And Ohio State, although they were sort of establishing their identity when they had to throw, Hoying was missing some throws early. And, like, Notre Dame was just like, boom, boom, boom. And I it was like, well, sorry, Ohio State.
2: But, but not right from the start. Like, if Ohio State goes in and gets a touchdown there on that first drive instead of getting stopped on fourth and goal from the three or whatever, that changes the complexion of, of the start of this game a little bit too. So uh, that was a factor. I I thought Notre Dame, though, bounced back pretty well and did look like they were seizing control. I mean, they had some momentum. Things were in their favor, and then just a couple plays right before half, I thought, were big as far as – especially getting into the end zone, obviously, but just getting some of that momentum back for Ohio State.
0: So just – I just wrote this down as it flashed on the broadcast. Notre Dame's five series in the first half went punt, field goal, touchdown, touchdown, punt. So they punted their first, but then they had three straight scoring drives. Ohio State's first half series went punt, go for on fourth down, don't make it, don't score. So lose the ball on downs, punt, touchdown, touchdown. So Notre Dame scores on two of its first three series. Ohio State doesn't score on any of its first three series. And that's when it's 10-0 and it feels like, okay, I I don't know here. But 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 so but that punt, just that punt return was was just huge. And again, as you watch this more as an Ohio State fan or as an Ohio State observer, you're seeing Eddie George, Terry Glenn, Bobby Hoying, Orlando Pace, Mike Vrabel, Sean Springs, Luke Fickle. There's a lot of very familiar names in this game. And Notre Dame, it's like Notre Dame has like Alan Rossum and Derek Mays and Ron Paulus, who's kind of okay there's not like superstars, not like Rocket Ismails in this game. Tim Brown's not in this game. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's, there's more famous Ohio State guys. It feels like there's more Ohio State talent, but yet in the first, I don't know, 20 minutes, it kind of felt like Notre Dame was the better team. And I do think there's some credit here to be had for Ohio State, Stephen, right? I mean, like they figured it out. Notre Dame made some huge mistakes, but Ohio State also hung around figured it out and then let their big talent guys make some plays
3: and took advantage of Notre Dame's mistakes. Because if you don't turn those into scoring opportunities, it doesn't matter.
0: Right. And we've seen schools do that. Right. So I think it probably helped Ohio state. This was a home game today. Right. By the way, also, you know,
3: you know, who else did that? I'm just to kind of put it in a, a a modern perspective. um, I mean, Clemson hung around and then when things started going wrong for Ohio state, they took advantage of it. So that's, Sometimes that's the key to things. Can you hang around long enough to when some things do break in your favor, you're able to take advantage of it?
0: It does feel like by the end, Notre Dame is kind of giving the game away. Yeah. But Ohio State had to find a way to hang around. And even as you said, Nathan, you're, you're right. It wasn't like Ohio State wasn't moving the ball. But to go down, go for it on fourth down, which we think was the right call, not make it. And it's not like they fell in a hole. They didn't fall in an emotional hole after that. They, they Nathan, they, they I mean, they – they won the game. They figured they figured it out. Yeah, I mean
2: and this is I mean this is how games of this caliber get won. That's why we like to see them, right? That's why we we it's it's refreshing to see two teams of this caliber get on the field together because you've got to, and I know it's so cliche, but you expect both teams to have to bring this for, for four quarters. And just because it's going one way early on doesn't mean it's going to stay that way. That's where the drama comes from. That's where the, that's where the enjoyment of sports really comes from. I think is, is to watch this game unfold then over a full game, because as you're sitting here watching, you know, we're talking, we're, we're, one of the things is like the, what's the pivotal play of the game. And I think I wrote down like five different things. Cause I'm watching it for the first time and you think, Oh, well that's going to be huge. And then like a few <laughs> minutes later, it's like, Oh wait, that definitely got Trump. Like that's the play. And then like something else happens. So, um, that
0: that's that's football man i do want to say i forgot to mention this earlier my notes were a little scattered on this for this episode i apologize for that um the the kick return handoff flub that you mentioned before nathan that we were talking about rob kelly was a guy who's a, he's a safety for ohio state winds up being a really good player he is a good player winds up being a second round nfl pick has an nfl career he kind of got down early and kind of like mucked that up and forced a little bit of a fumble and it is one of these things when you go back and you watch a game that's this old and it's not forever old it's 25 years old rob kelly is a guy who very publicly has struggled with cte issues with concussions issues not cte because we don't know he's he's had some health issues related to multiple concussions in his nfl career he and his family have been very vocal about that about what he's dealt with, about what happens when you play football for a long time. And it's just a reminder to all of us of like this is, this is not that long ago. And Rob Kelly has felt the effects of, of doing the things that he's doing in a game like this. And I just think if we're going to be honest about looking back and celebrating – the great moments and the Terry Glenn and Eddie George and Orlando Pace and what Mike Vrabel and Luke Fickle did then and have now gone on to do. We have to acknowledge the times when you look back and you say, there are guys in this game who are paying a price, who are paying a price. And so I just wanted to, I wanted to mention that about Rob Kelly because he's, he's dealt, he and his family have dealt with some very difficult things. And he's a guy who was out there in the Scarlet and gray making plays for the Buckeyes in this game. All right, uh, and I want to get to this. Just mentioned Terry Glenn, the Ted Ginn Jr. speed moment. When did a dude look super fast? Steven, when did a dude look super fast?
3: Yeah, I mean, it's got to be Terry Glenn, right? Because he actually finished his big play with a touchdown, and Eddie George didn't. I mean, he, the, the epitome of making your quarterback look good is since that you take a short pass and you take it the distance for a touchdown. So it's got to be him.
2: Nathan, do you have that same one? I mean, there were, there were, that was the one, but then also the, the, the Tillman catch uh, in the second quarter where he took that short hitch and went 51 yards and that set up the, their first touchdown. I thought that was going to be, looked like one of the, the pivotal play of the game to that point of the game to kind of flip the flip the script a little bit for Ohio State and now get Notre Dame back on its heels at a
0: time where it was really controlling the game. That till, That Buster Tillman catch, as you said, that was huge. It felt like the Ohio State offense was dead and that play gave it life. But I will say... In the aftermath of that play, Bob Greasy said if he had Terry Glenn's speed, he would have scored. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And then they threw, like, the same route to Terry Glenn. Same route. He again, did. And he scored. He looked he like he right. was, like, shot out of a cannon. Like, that is, like – I, I thought – I mean, that's, like, Ted Ginn. We love talking about Ted Ginn. Every Ohio State fan listening to this loves it when we talk about Ted Ginn. Everybody wants to talk about Ted, Ted Ginn because he is so rare, because he is so special, because he could do that at, at any moment and break away like that. But that play almost made me want to rename this category the Terry Glenn speed moment of the game. That was unbelievable. He absolutely exploded on that play, didn't he? I mean, I just love, you just see, you see that skill. And I want to get to this Terry Glenn quote. Ohio State, uh, it's a Bobby Hoing 12-yard pass to Terry Glenn to, for an 82-yard touchdown thanks to Glenn's turbo boost. Quote from Terry Glenn. When I caught the ball, I was thinking about getting the first down. But as I started running, I looked out of the corner of my eye, and I saw number 15, who's Alan Rossum, chasing me. This guy was supposed to be some kind of track All-American in high school. So I thought, let's see how fast he is. I just turned on the jets and got the touchdown. How ruthless is that quote? I looked out of the corner of my eye, processed the fact that the guy chasing me is supposedly fast. Let's see how fast he is. Terry Glenn. That kind of quote like, takes my breath away, man. That
3: sounds like a kid who got to the 20-yard line and said, oh, yeah, I know exactly what I'm going to say about this after the game.
0: I mean, such – and again, just absolute, special, rare, unbelievable skill. And, and sadly – I mean, Ohio State fans know this, but, but sadly we have to talk about the fact that Terry Glenn has died and that he died at age 43 after a traffic accident in 2017 – and so, again, I mean, it's, it's these moments that this is, this is what anybody wants to do in life. You want to do things that people will never forget, right? And um, all the great players that have come through here and that will continue to come through here, I'm not a Terry Glenn expert. I didn't cover Terry Glenn, but when Terry Glenn <laughs> made that play, that was different. Even for a Buckeye, you're used to see right. We see we see Buckeyes make plays like that all the time, but that was a that was a holy moly moment. So Terry Glenn, 43 years on this earth, but in those 43 years, he did he did things that 25 years later we're we're looking back on and saying that was an unbelievable play that helped his team win a huge game. We'll take a quick break. We have our rest of our categories to finish up here. We have the style check, meme it. The game, Maurice Clarette game-saving moment. And then we have, does this look like a championship team? And the enjoyment meter, both for college fans and for Buckeye fans. We will get to that on Buckeye Retalkables right after this. All right, back on Buckeye Retalkables, let's do our style check. 90s man, this is my, I had just graduated from college. So it's like they're showing people um, in the stands like wearing, looking like the super mid nineties lamos, And like, that's, that's, that's how I still dress and look today. So my whole vision of style is based on like 1990 to 1995. So it was very refreshing for me to watch them pan the crowd. Um, I don't know if I caught a fanny pack in there or what, but Nathan, I know you did the cut up. So maybe, maybe um, you weren't looking in the crowd at what people were wearing as much, but what'd you have for style check? Um,
2: well, I mean, Lou Holtz rocking that sweet neck brace. Get <laughs> gets some some style check. Now, I, I you know I think in the in modern day maybe not only would he be in the press box, but if he wasn't in the press box, I think you'd you'd be wearing like something a little bit more branded, right? You'd be wearing like a Notre Dame brand neck brace or like a Nike neck brace. I don't know who their contract is with, but I think you'd be there'd be some kind of big old advertisement stamped on the side of that thing that you'd be showing off because you know that you're going to be on TV, maybe even more than usual. Steven, you're our style,
3: Maven. What'd you see? First of all, him in a gold neck brace would have been amazing. But it's the turtleneck with the vest combo it's for me. That's what it, Outside of the neck brace, that just seems like – I feel like he, that's his combo every week anyway if you take away the neck brace. And if, if, if Jim Trestle can get away with the sweater vest, and that can be his brand, the turtleneck. I don't know who still wears those. So the Reebok turtleneck. With the with the Notre Dame blue vest over top of it, that's a that's a beautiful look, man, for a '90s head coach. So
0: I'm gonna just keep. Re- we're getting down sort of the end here. I just did. I already say what the attendance was. It was the largest crowd in Ohio State history. Did I say that out loud or did I only think it? That I want
2: I, I don't remember, but yeah, I, I saw yeah. there was like 106,000.
0: It was 95,537. Right. 95, it's before they filled in like the other oh, okay. part of the I'm end. So, game. so this is uh this was the largest crowd in Ohio state history. I also forgot. Again, my notes are a little scattered. I wanted to note the fact that they were interviewing Regis Philbin, huge Notre Dame fan. Again, the late Regis Philbin who just passed away on the sideline. And he said, we've got a lock on it. We're going to win. And like, Two seconds later, Terry Glenn caught the pass and exploded and <laughs> ran down the field. And then they went back to Regis and he was like, we're still going to win. And it was just like funny. It was just some very 90s. It's like they did like a nice long Regis Philbin interview in the middle of the game. And, and nothing is better than, uh, nothing's more like mid 90s than Regis Philbin, right? And Keith Jackson, by the way, said that was a bolt of lightning, we just like, who doesn't like Keith It's fun to get to hear Keith Jackson do this game. Called Terry Glenn a bolt of lightning in that. My other style things I wanted to note, both the glasses on Lou Holtz and John Cooper. Lou Holtz always wore glasses. I don't know that I think of Coop with glasses on when I think of him, but I thought they were both like, kind of like very 90s glasses that they were wearing. And then something about the style of the broadcast. First of all, I noted that the lineup introductions were sponsored by Chili's, which I was like, I mean I'm getting I'm getting some Southwest egg rolls like for lunch because it worked. Your 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 Chili sponsorship 25 years later is paying dividends. So the lineups were sponsored by Chili's and it also took them until five minutes left in the first quarter to get through the lineups. They did that individual position groups like between every play. So like for the first three series of the game or four series of the game, we got like no analysis because after every play, it was like, and now we go to the Ohio state linebackers. Oh, there's Lorenzo. What's this? And it's like, could. And so now when you do the things, it's like, okay, here, we're saying their names, say your name in one second. This is why TV and TV fans have revolted against Please don't take four series to tell us who's playing. Keith Jackson said every single starter's name on both sides of the ball for both teams. And so I just like the TV stuff is fun to watch a 25-year-old game. You know, it doesn't look it doesn't look super duper ancient, right? Maybe it's just because I was alive then. I mean, you know, so maybe it looks super duper ancient to Steven, but there are parts of it that are like Nope, that's not it. That's not entertaining. Please stop doing that. And by now they have.
3: And it's not even the fact that they took forever with it, it's the fact that with every single group, if they had, they also then took another 15 years to talk about whoever the star player of that group was.
2: You know what, though? I'll take the drawn out introductions if it means that I get score and time updates more frequently throughout the game like you really feel lost trying to watch a game like this and yeah. i don't remember it from when i was younger because it's just the way it was but like you like now you constantly know score the game time left down and distance like it's, it's right there for you in an easy to consume um way and then and back then it was just like well we'll let you know what what's the status of the game if you walk in on a game you really have no idea what's going on until they get to a commercial break
3: Yeah, if you're watching the quick cuts, you're seeing other scores around the country more than you saw the actual score in the Notre Dame-Ohio State game.
0: Also, one other thing on a style check, and again, the cut that was out there, the full cut had some commercials in it. There was a Chevy Blazer ad that had a laptop computer sitting on the passenger seat of the car and a car phone, and then they showed, like, all the wires of the computer and the phone, like, hooked into the console of the Chevy Blazer and they said something about on the information superhighway. And it's like, if you need to be driving around with your computer plugged in, plug it into a Chevy Blazer. And it was just like
2: it's what we do now. It's just yeah. a different size computer.
3: It's just no, a I, handheld it's a handheld computer that you're charging. mushed you smushed you
2: them together over the past twenty five years.
3: It's <laughs> like, hey, can I sit in the
0: front seat? Can I call shotgun? It's like, I'm sorry, my laptop called shotgun. I'm on the information super <laughs> yeah. highway you can't sit in the front um all right meme it what's a weird thing that would have become a meme on twitter steven did you have a meme it moment
3: i did after the 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 botched exchange between the center and notre dame's quarterback um and then they go to the sidelines and they're showing his reaction it's he's yelling what happened but it's the fact that you know he wipes his hair away from his face first and he has the most confused confused look on his face it's almost like in a movie where a team is playing another team that's clearly more talented and they're like yo this team is really good he's like yo what just happened there that was in um, <laughs> keith jackson actually like mouthing him say it as he says it was perfect that would be one that would be like a thing that that
0: people yeah would use a what happened meme of like yeah. um you know like if you if your friend ate all the pizza out of the fridge and you said like, oh, what happened? Like, yeah, that is a good what happened because I was thought it was funny. That was a pretty good quarterback center little public fight there. Yeah. You could see Notre Dame was frustrated, but that would be a meme very easily. What you got, Nathan?
2: That was going to be mine, but then also um, just Regis, R.I.P. Regis and the, the shot of him just like I only saw on the cut-ups, I don't think I saw the first one. You only see the second one where he's like, we're still going to get it. And he's like, he's wearing a t-shirt. So it's not like, the. usually when you saw Regis, he was on his show and he's uh, got like a suit and tie and everything. And here he's just like trying to be a college kid. So like, I don't know, the the meme would be like, when you you brew too much coffee, but don't want to waste it or something like that. Cause he's (laughs) just like, it looks like he's just this super wired, insane guy on the sidelines, but he just, he loved his Notre Dame football. So uh, rest in peace,
0: Regis. I do think that like, Neck Brace Lou really could be like crying Jordan. I mean like there is it was just yeah, yeah. so weird. And they had a great close up at the end where he's like he was like sort of standing on the sideline as like the game was over in the last couple of minutes he's like squeezing his neck brace and then he stops it and then he just lowers his hand and then he's just like has his hand on his chin just like staring at the at the the camera. Um very odd. And also I think I I caught this right after that Terry Glenn 82 yard touchdown When he came to the sideline, I think an Ohio State assistant kissed him on the head. I think in the celebration, you can see somebody very specifically kiss him. And not that this would be a meme, but I also want to give a shout out to, no longer at Ohio State, now in the NFL, but they do this all the time when guys come back, Robert Smith and Corey Stringer, the late Corey Stringer, being interviewed on the sideline during the game. And just Mm -hmm. looking like young, you know, young 24, 25-year-old dudes in the NFL. Um, All right, now we get down to the Maurice Claret game-saving moment. And again, this is hard because this game was full of moments. Nathan, you said you're sort of talking about, well, I would write this one down, then I'd write this one down, then I'd write this one down. Did you, did you f- finally land on one that stood out above the others? No. <laughs> I, I,
2: I struggled. I mean I, I, think, I mean, I think the play of the game really is Bartholomew dropping the punt. I think that really swung. or Bartholomew
0: kicking it for Ohio State and yeah. Mosley dropping
2: the punt. Or Mosley the dropping the punt. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that was where the game really flopped. I think you caught it. You could have talked about um, Mike Vrabel had a big TFL on on Notre Dame's third and goal when they could have gone up twenty four to mm-hmm. fourteen and said it was only twenty to fourteen. It just kept it kept it a one score game and set up what happened after the punt. Um, Sean Springs interception uh, and wasn't pressured on that play. He just gacked it and just threw a. Bad pass and, and Springs made a nice diving pick. Um the Bonhouse fumble recovery later in the game. But I, I think if I had to pick one, it would just be the, the muffed punt and what Ohio State was able to do with it then off of that and just and just flipping really taking control of the game after that.
0: Yeah, there really just were. I mean there there, there were like Ohio State at critical moments did critical things multiple, multiple, multiple times. That again, sort of the flow. It wasn't the flow was bad, but it was kind of like slam Eddie George into people for four or five yards slam Eddie George into people. And then Terry Glenn thing, then Springs interception thing. Then like there were multiple moments though. Uh, Steven, what did you have that stood out?
3: Yeah, I went with the, the Frable moment uh, overall, because it starts all of this. It's the, you know, it's the, it opens the bottle for all of this to happen because it's a goal line, stop But also he forces a fumble. I know the Notre Dame isn't getting it back, but the fact that, you hold them to three in that situation. So instead of, you know, going up 21 to seven, they go up 17 to seven. And at that point, you know, that's a manageable de- deficit to come back from, especially when everything else hadn't happened yet. So for that to be the start of what would end up being a ugly third quarter for Notre Dame, I think that has to sit at number one. And then everything else follows it. And you can rank them however you want.
0: So I, I don't disagree with anything you guys said. I, I had um... – when Ohio State took the lead for the first time. It's the Ricky Dudley touchdown catch in the third quarter. It's a 15 yard pass from Bobby Hoying with 5.06 left in the third. Notre Dame was up 20-14. This puts Ohio State up 21-20. Talking specifically, again, we're not here to drag Bobby Hoying, but it felt like there are a couple of times, Nathan, early where when he was missing, he was missing Ricky Dudley, that Ricky Dudley was doing some stuff. He's such a big target. And this is a third and six, and Hoying hits him in the middle of the field, Ricky Dudley catches it between two defenders, then turns and beats two more defenders to the end zone. And it's like, there it is. And if in that moment, again, they're down six, if Bobby Hoying overthrows him, if Ricky Dudley drops it, right? I mean, it just, neither of those should have happened, but if something went wrong there and they had sort of missed each other a couple times, who knows, but then boom, Ohio State takes the lead and then they never give up the lead. That's five Oh six left in the third quarter. So again, just I think the idea of this is it's, and it's why it's kind of a fun game to watch because there is kind of like, all right, well, while it's not boring, but like, while it's sort of normal, it's like, Oh, well, who, well, they're giving it to the Heisman trophy winner. So who doesn't want to watch Eddie George run for four yards? And then there's 12 plays in the game that stand out. So it's just, it's just a really fun thing to watch, which we'll get to for our enjoyment meter. Nathan, Ultimate question. Does this look like a championship Ohio State team? So, sort of. Like, if you had told me that this team went on and won a national championship, I might have
2: believed it just because of Eddie George and because of what we saw from some of the people up front. But I had major quarterback questions watching this game. Um, Just so many of the instances of this game where we talk about a big play in the passing game, it's a big play that a receiver makes after he catches the ball, whether that's even what you're talking about with Ricky Dudley. I thought what he did to, like, keep churning for those last few yards and get in the end zone was – what made that play we already talked about Tillman we talked about Glenn um so I, w- looking at this game I then thought like oh well then I wonder what happened in the Michigan game relative to quarterback play so I went and looked because obviously that was a the game they were undefeated going into that game and uh, you know a chance I could play for a national championship and they lose and Hoying was 22 of 45 so that's 48.9 mm-hmm. percent with two interceptions and mm-hmm. I, I thought like this is that's probably and Bobby Hoying doesn't have to apologize for anything I think he had a, a very successful life in football for himself but i thought maybe he was the difference between whether or not this team could win a national championship because if and in that michigan game george averaged five yards a carry he wasn't getting like bottled up and he wasn't he didn't get those yards off of like any you know a bunch of like big runs or anything i think his long run in that game was 11 so it was kind of a constant churn but for whatever reason they they put the game
0: on on Hoying's shoulders and and it it wasn't going to happen steven what'd you think i I thought Nathan's answer was very interesting. Steven, yes or no? Is this an Ohio State championship team, or is the answer maybe?
3: It, it's maybe, and I think it, it's kind of been the the tale of Ohio State through this decade as well. Is, is the talent around the quarterback good enough to overcome, you know, some of the the cons of whoever you have under center? And clearly with this team, it wasn't. You know, we learned that later on. But right then and there, when you win that game in Notre Dame, you're probably thinking, yes, guys like Eddie – having guys like Eddie George and Dudley and – Ter- Terry Glenn having the guys on defense that you have you would think that the talent surrounding the quarterback is good enough to overcome whatever deficiency deficiencies he has in his game so because of that it is a maybe
1: this
2: was a game to me that that showed a quarterback position that was in desperate need of a revolution like this was almost like two guys pulled out of central casting as far as what a quarterback should look like whether or not they were actually going to go out there and be the quarterback that does successful things on a football field again Paulus and and, and Hoying both have, you know, I'm, I'm sure are fine with, with, with the way their lives have gone. But in terms of just who is going to help you win that football game, I, I think, I don't know, there, there's something more dynamic out there, I think, even in 1995 if someone had been looking for it.
0: So it's funny, Bobby Hoing did go on and play in the NFL. He wound right. up playing mm-hmm. for the Eagles. He started 13 games total in 1997 and 1998, 3 9 and 1 as an NFL starter. So, I mean, just the point of he's not. Right. I mean, he's not like JT Barrett never started an NFL game. Right. So um, and I remember it's funny. I, I so this right at this point, I'm working in in the Chicago suburbs in northwest Indiana. And I worked at that newspaper for two and a half years. And then I got a job in the Philadelphia suburbs. And like when I got there, it was right at the point sort of of like Bobby Hoying jerseys were on the clearance rack of every sporting goods store in the Philadelphia area because he had been kind of the quarterback for this weird two-year period. And then it was like, oh yeah, no, he's not anymore. And it's like, we have all these jerseys. So it's a little weird to me. I actually thought knowing that this team is undefeated to the Michigan game. Know that they're knowing that they were number two going into the Michigan game. I actually assumed my answer before I watched this would be yes, of course, they're a championship team, like mm-hmm. they actually almost were. And then it's just the Cooper Michigan thing. And then I watched it, and they had the Heisman winner, and they have Orlando Pace, and they have Sean Springs, and they have Terry Glenn, and they have Mike Vrabel, who had the sack record before Chase Young. Yeah. And I just assumed like, well, yeah, my answer is going to be yes. But my answer is not yes. Mm-hmm. Like, and I just don't know if like college football then just wasn't quite what it is now. It's 25 years ago. So we're maybe we're putting, putting that on it, right? That, well, I think we're
2: definitely doing that a little bit. Yeah.
0: And that we're not realizing, well, in the moment, this is how people played. Look at all this Ohio State talent. The answer is like, of course, yes. And the thing that we have to remember is, like, they were, like, set up for this. That going into the Michigan game, Nebraska's number one, like, the whole year, practically. Well, no. Florida State's number one. They lose, I think, to Florida at some point. Nebraska takes over in week 10. Nebraska's number one. Florida State's number two. Florida State loses. Now they fall out. So starting in week 11, Nebraska's number one. Ohio State's number two. But this is the time before they got all the – Stuff figured out with college football. The Big Ten champ, and Nebraska's not in the Big Ten, the Big Ten champ is still tied to the Rose Bowl. So we're looking at a situation, if Ohio State beats Michigan in in the last game of the season, you're going to have Nebraska be number one, Ohio State be number two, and they can't play each other. They're not going to play each other in the postseason. But then Ohio State loses, and you wind up getting what is a national championship game, of number one Nebraska versus number two Florida in the Fiesta Bowl and Nebraska beats Florida 62 to 24. So this is in that era, right? This is in that Osborne era at Nebraska and Ohio State could have kind of messed it up because Ohio State would have gone to the Rose Bowl and like made a case, they would have played USC, make your case should should you be number one instead of Nebraska. And when they have this talent they might've been able to make that case. So it's crazy to think that our answers are anything other than of course, yes, they are a championship level team. They easily could have been, but yet none of our answers are that. And I don't think that we're wrong. I think we have a little recency bias. I think we're not experts. None of us are on this era of Ohio State football, but it made, for all those reasons, it made for an interesting rewatch because how can they beat Notre Dame, In a huge matchup, they're going to go beat Penn State the next week in an even bigger matchup. There's no patsies in the preseason. They are filled with stars. They have the Heisman Trophy winner, and yet our answer isn't a resounding yes. Nathan, you're like – you have your beard in your hand. (laughs) I often do. I just don't – very distinguished. uh, Hmm. I'll be curious to hear from the texters and the listeners, like, are we wrong because we didn't live it in the moment? And, like, we're actually wrong. Or – are we kind of right? Because for all their great parts and for their consistent, very solid play, maybe they still kind of were a half step short, maybe kind of around the quarterback position or kind of the way they go about things. I don't know. But then
2: if you start to think about what if they could play that Nebraska team head to head, maybe that wouldn't be such a terrible matchup for this Ohio State team in in some ways. Like, you you know, you're, you're going up against kind of like an option attack um, and you get to kind of counter with your rushing attack. Um, I don't know. I mean, maybe that's that's and you've got some athleticism that maybe Nebraska at that time couldn't I don't know if they had someone that could really keep up with Terry Glenn and, and those guys, if you get them the ball and if, and if they're getting the ball and him and Springs on special team situations, like, I don't know. I mean, maybe that in the right matchup, maybe there, but you see too many matchups where it was going to maybe be a problem, especially just from the quarterback play. And I thought that played out a little bit in this game. Um, if, if things, if, if Notre Dame doesn't give the ball away so much in the second half, maybe that's, we're looking back and talking about why that's why they lost this game. And there's definitely, you can look at the numbers and see other games where it came into play this season.
3: that's our problem here in this situation is we know what, you know, you know, low-level quarterback play can do as far as how it can, you know, be detrimental to Ohio State. We saw it in 2016, and we saw it against against Clemson. We saw it against Iowa as well, where underwhelming quarterback play can hurt a team. And so because we have that knowledge, we don't get to look at it. Now, if we were covering this game, we probably would have been writing stories about is this Ohio State team a national championship contender or not in that moment because we didn't have that knowledge. But because we do – you know, that's how we're forced to look at it. We have to worry about you know how good is Hoying and how how bad how, how far can he take this team regardless of what's around him.
0: It's hard. It's like Nebraska. It's like you know Nebraska won the national title. It wins three out of four titles in this era, like running the freaking wishbone, right, or whatever. I mean, yeah. like that. I mean, it's not. You know, I mean, imagine if we're going back and watching that, and if that was Ohio State's offense, but like Nebraska thinking about that they wouldn't have gotten to play, but Ohio State would have had to make a case against Nebraska. Here's Nebraska's offensive point totals that year by game. 64, 50, 77, 49, 35, 57, 49, 44, 73, 41, 37, 62.
2: So – Love to cover the team where you get to – they only scored 35. What went wrong this week?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean – yeah, I mean, they just, they just rolled people. They just rolled people the whole year, including Oklahoma 37 to nothing in their rivalry game in the last game of the regular season while Ohio State was losing to Michigan and then 62-24 in the championship game. So by the books, by the facts, like could have Ohio State been a championship team? Probably not because they weren't going to get to play Nebraska. And if that's what Nebraska it was, I mean, who, who was going to not vote for Nebraska? Their number one going into bowl season – they would have played Florida. Okay, so they beat number three, if Ohio State still have been number two. They beat number three, 62, 24. You're gonna you're gonna have Ohio State leapfrog them. I mean, there's just nothing Ohio State could have done. But if you would have wound up playing a Nebraska team like that, and you're like, okay, well, here. I mean, that's a great Nebraska defense also, though that's like the black shirts are still the black shirts back then. But it's like here, you want some Terry Glenn. Hey, you want a little you want a little Eddie George? I don't know. If they actually would have played on the field, who knows? All right. How fun was it? enjoyment meter for the average college football fan on a scale of one to a thousand. So not Buckeye fans, average college football fan, Nathan, one to a thousand. What do you got?
2: The average college football fan, I think I went 909. You know, it doesn't come down to the wire. I I save a higher score for games that are like decided at the very end or whatever. But I thought this was, you know, people don't like Notre Dame, I think. So I think people like watching Notre Dame lose. I think they especially liked it in 1995. Um, You got to see Lou Holtz. You got to see, uh Regis, you got to see Eddie George, the eventual Heisman Trophy winner doing his thing, some other explosive plays. I think I think this is a good college football game. Steven, what do you got?
3: I said nine fifteen because it this was a quality football game. No, it wasn't clean by any means of the measure, but I mean it has moments that you can still talk about twenty-five years from now. And also both teams had, you know, two score leads at one point, the uh, Ohio State had to come back. It took some major plays for that to happen. But everything that you could ask for out of a football game, other than a game winning, you know, two minute drill drive, you got in this football game.
0: Yeah, I'm like 925. I think, I think same thing. A lot of people I'm sure tuned in for this. It's a three thirty national game with Keith Jackson. It's two traditional powers who haven't played in 59 years. And it was a close game for three quarters. And there were some big memorable plays and some big famous people. So I think you got your money's worth out of this for sure. Buckeye enjoyment meter. Steven, scale of 1 to 1,000 for an Ohio State fan.
3: 980, um, especially after that third quarter. I mean, that crowd was rocking. It's Notre Dame, who you hadn't played in 59 years, and you got a chance to beat them and everything you talked about with the King of the North. But it's the fact that, you know, Ohio State played a non-conference major opponent, and they proved that they were better than them. And as an Ohio State fan, you got a great game out of it. I don't know what more you ask for if you're an Ohio State fan. Nathan?
2: 961. I think, again, like like as Stephen's saying, your marquee game, national game, you you took care of business, big win at home. It sets you up for if you then take care of business in the Big Ten. You don't know exactly for sure what's going to happen with Nebraska at that point in the season, so you're probably thinking, man, if you run through the Big Ten, why aren't you in position to compete for a national championship? So um, I would think that this would be like one of those games early in the year where Maybe it just really clicked on for people that, like, this could be something special. Although, again, I, I, you got to take some points away because there probably were some other people, even at that time, who were thinking, eh, I don't know about this QB.
0: So we just have to reinforce just what it was like back I mean, their schedule. So Ohio State's number 12 in the preseason. Their schedule, they open with number 22 Boston College, and they play number 18 Washington, and then they play at Pitt. Then it's number 15, Notre Dame. Then they go at number 12, Penn State, the week after this. They win 28-25. Then they're at number 21, Wisconsin. They win 27-16. A three-game stretch of Notre Dame, Penn State, Wisconsin. Um, Then they do Purdue, shutout win. Then number 25, Iowa, they win big. At Minnesota, win big. Illinois, Indiana. And then they go into the Michigan game. They're number two. Michigan is number 18. It's in Ann Arbor. And Michigan wins 31-23. So this is a good team playing a good schedule. I think it's a 1,000. I think this is everything you want, and here's why. There's two things that happened here. One is, this is the time, and now Michigan is still in the mix here because Michigan has a national championship waiting in two years. Michigan's going to win the national championship in 1997, so I don't want to forget about them when I talk about King of the North. This is when Ohio State passes Notre Dame. The eight years before this, from Uh, For seven straight years, from 1987 to 1993, that's seven straight years, Notre Dame, this is like Lou Holtz takes over for Jerry Faust. And this is like Coop taking over for Earl Bruce. 87 to 93, Notre Dame finishes ahead of Ohio State in the final AP poll every year. Notre Dame's number 17, Ohio State's unranked. Notre Dame wins the national title, Ohio State's unranked. 2 to 24, 6 to unranked, 13 to unranked, 4th to 18th, 2nd to 11th. Notre Dame is better than Ohio State. They're a better program. Nobody could argue it. 94, as we mentioned, Notre Dame has a step back year, 6-5-1 with Lou Holtz. Coop starts to get it going. So that's the year before this. So 87 to 93, seven straight years Notre Dame. From 95 on, starting with this year, the last 25 years in the final AP rankings, Ohio State has finished ahead of Notre Dame 21 times. Both of them have been unranked. Three times, Notre Dame has finished ahead of Ohio State once. This is the transformation. Before this game, coming into this game, you would have said, who's the better program? You know I mean let's not talk about Woody and Eric Parsegian and Newt Rockney. Let's talk about who's the better football program now. Everybody would have said Notre Dame. Nobody could have argued it. Ohio State wins both the games in this matchup in '95 and '96, and since then, nobody can argue it the other way. It switches. John Cooper gets a little credit for that, not for taking down Notre Dame necessarily. Notre Dame was sort of taking down itself. But this is what we talk about, it sustaining it, right, sustaining it. And Ohio State sort of since here has sustained it. So that's one important thing, why it's 1,000, both in the moment and in retrospect. The other thing to me is this is the beginning of peak Cooper talent and torture. Right this very moment, John Cooper has beaten Notre Dame, excuse me, has beaten Michigan the last time he played him. His first win against Michigan comes in 94. He loses his first four to Michigan. Then there's a tie, then he loses again. He's 0-5-1, and he finally beats Michigan. So entering the 95 season, he finally doesn't have the, the full Michigan albatross around his neck. Now, they start off. They've, they have two ranked wins. Now they're playing Notre Dame for the first time in 59 years, and they win. Then they beat Penn State, and they win. Then they play Wisconsin. They are looking – They've beaten Michigan, and now in the moment, they're looking like a national title contender. This is arguably as happy as John Cooper will ever be as Ohio State's coach. Because now, this is the transformation in Cooper's first seven years. He was 54-26-3. and three. Michigan was higher ranked than Ohio State six of the seven times he played them. It wasn't that he was losing to Michigan. It's that Michigan was better than Ohio State. He was 54, 26, and three. Four, six, and one, eight, and four, seven, four, and one, eight, and four, eight, and three, 10, one, and one, nine, and four. I mean, it's nothing special. He's fine. His job's being talked about constantly. The tie in 93, minus, uh, 92, minus saved his job. <coughs> Excuse me. This season, 95, begins the four-year run of Ohio State and John Cooper having a goodest, uh, every year, having a team that's as good as any team in the country. This is the transformation from Cooper's teams aren't good enough and they also lose to Michigan to Cooper's teams are better. They are as good as anybody and they lose to Michigan, right? But right now, he doesn't know that yet. Right now in this moment, he's beating Notre Dame. He has a Michigan win in his pocket. He's thinking it's all going to change. And it does in one way because they're freaking awesome. This 3-year this 4-year run starting with this 95 season. 11 and 2, 11 and 1, 10 and 3, 11 and 1. And 1 and 3 against Michigan. So when we think about Cooper now in 2 10 and 1, I think the average fan, I mean, at least I do, and I wasn't a, I'm not the average fan. I wasn't a fan back then. I didn't live it. But my view looking back is Cooper had great teams but he couldn't beat Michigan. He didn't have great teams for the first 7 years. He had great teams starting now. Keith Jackson and Bob Greasy lead off this broadcast by saying, this is John Cooper's best team. And this is, so far, and 96 is better and 98 is better. This is the start of unbelievable Ohio State talent that can't beat Michigan. So that's what happened here. Like the idea, they're rioting on high street, Eric Hansen said, they're burning couches, why? Because this is a new era. And they don't yet know that the new era is going to have one thing that's going to make it just like the old era. And it's going to drive them nuts. But that's in the future. And this is in the present. And this is beating Notre Dame. So I really like this one. Nathan, what'd you think? I mean, like, again, I'm in the same boat as you guys now. I had not watched this game before now. I didn't cover these players. I didn't cover John Cooper. I didn't cover Eddie George. I just watched it. I liked it.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think, like I said, at the onset of this, I thought it was going to be great to like go back and and kind of absorb more recent, relatively recent Ohio State history and kind of just feel more of the program. Because so many of these guys, whether it's Mike Rabel, whether it's Luke Fickle, whether it's Eddie George, these guys still have a presence around this program or college football or both. And uh, they're still referenced now by even guys who come through this program as like, you know, that you point to them as like, those are the guys you're trying to emulate. Those are the, those are the the people the the performances you're trying to live up to in a lot of ways. So yeah, to get to kind of watch that and see it in person, I think was important.
3: Yeah, Mike Vrabel and Luke Frickle went from sharing a defensive line to, you know, sharing a coaching staff together at Ohio State. But I think the interesting thing as you as you pointed all that out is one of the things Eric Hansen said was the fact that this game had been scheduled almost a decade in advance. And it makes me think of the next decade for Ohio State and how Two
0: decades, decades. Two decades.
3: So a long time in advance. And so it makes me think of this next decade for Ohio State where they're going to get a lot of these, you know, high-level non-conference games. And it makes me think about the Alabama game in the sense of you're talking about this is where Ohio State passed Notre Dame. We don't know how much longer Nick Saban is going to be the head coach at Alabama. But right now, they're still recruiting at a high level. They have the number one class in the country followed by Ohio State. You know, right now, we, I mean, as of right now, he'll still be the coach in that game. What if, you know, for Ohio State, that can be the moment where, once again, you have an opportunity to pass a major program and take another major step for your program, and you also get to play that team at the same time? And this is the moment you get to do it. You get to finally pass Alabama as the best program in college football. It's, I'm just throwing it out there. Just saying. Just because I love it's so far it. in advance. I'm just I love saying. It.
0: I love it. That is a, um, that's a great comparison. Like, I, sometimes I love it, it
3: takes that. Sometimes it takes you actually playing the team and getting to do it on the field to be that final you know, chapter of we're now a better program than you. And we just proved it on the field.
0: It's easier to pass a torch when you're standing next to somebody. Yeah. So I will say, I just want to get, I want to make this note talking about the talent on this team, the 1996 draft, the three best players on this Ohio state offense all get picked in the first 14 picks. That's how good the talent is. Terry Glenn is the number seven pick. Ricky Dudley is the number nine pick. Eddie George is the number 14 pick. And by the way, Bobby Hoing, third rounder. Then in 97, so guys who are on this team, Orlando Pace is the number one pick. Sean Springs is the number three pick. There are five guys making plays in this Ohio State game who would all be picked in the first half of the first round. That's like, that's now. That's like Elliot Bosa- like that's that's what that's Justin Fields like that's what this is and John Cooper was starting that so this is an interesting time in Ohio State football i was glad we could do this i hope you guys enjoyed it we'll figure out what's next we got to get a Michigan game in here at some point because we're not going to be able to do the retalkables when the season starts Thanks, Kevin Warren. Thanks for bringing Big Ten football back and screwing up Buckeye Retalkables. But we'll have a couple more weeks of this, and we've got to do at least one Michigan game in that period. I feel like we probably should try to do a Penn State game in that period too. But then we can do these in the offseason. So also, if we get too, too busy with player interviews and we have to put the Retalkables on hold, I think they've been fun enough and successful enough and well-received enough for us to – just save them for the off season if we have to, but I'm glad we got this in no Ohio state this weekend, no Notre Dame this weekend. So go find this on YouTube, 1995, Ohio state, Notre Dame for the first time in 59 years, the Buckeyes win. And that's what we just talked about for the last two hours. I'm Doug. He's Steven. He's Nathan. Make sure you're listening to us every other day of the week. Uh, make sure you're reading cleveland.com slash OSU. Try the text at 614-350-3315. And that was a Buckeye Retalkable.